Even though I was incarcerated and I was upstate New York, I can go anywhere in the world with a good book. And so my body was physically detained, but my mind could go anywhere. And I just enjoyed reading and learning and challenging and exploring. And then I started to realize that all those messages about who I was, about that dumb black kid that would never amount to anything, that my only choices were the streets and robbery and drug sales was a lie. That the choices I have are the choices I create for myself or the choices and opportunities I see. In relationships, in careers, in life, not everyone gets a second chance. Imagine being told constantly that you'll never get out of your situation or that your environment, the family or neighborhood you were born into is who you are. But what if, by fate and circumstance, someone doesn't see your brokenness or cage you in your past? Instead, they see you for who you could be. They let you hope and they let you dream. No questions asked. This is the story of Stanley Richards, rebuilder of lives, criminal justice reform advocate, and the executive vice president of the Fortune Society. This is Camille. And this is Maverick. And this is Sincerely Human, a show about humans you should know and their stories of doing good in the modern age. Stanley was born and raised in the Bronx. He lived in the projects, in a neighborhood called Soundview, with his parents, a brother and two sisters. And in 1970, I lost my mother. I remember December 10th, uh, my mother went to work and she never came home. She had asthma and she had a severe asthma attack and she died. Uh, and that really started changing my life. Uh, you know, I see my father really fight to keep us together as a family. And he did, he raised us. But Stanley took to the streets. There was a sort of unspoken rule uh, in the projects. And, you know, it was you either are with the in crowd or you're out. A colleague of mine, Barry Campbell, likes to describe it as the you're either the predator or the prey. And growing up in Soundview, that's how it was. You either had to be the predator or you had to be the prey. So I joined gangs when I was younger. And then I started living that life. And I remember going through school I wouldn't go to classes or I wouldn't do well and I'd still get promoted. And that was at a time when they had social promotion based on age, not based on effort. And I really started believing that I wasn't smart enough to be successful and then started living the life of being on the streets. I started selling drugs. I started robbing people. I started going to jail and I began to believe that that's what my life was going to be about. Stanley cycled in and out of jail. But in 1986, he was arrested for robbery. He was sentenced to nine years in prison and served time for four and a half years. He learned how to survive in jail. I just remember 
the feeling of being isolated, not knowing what to expect, not knowing how the system would work. And I felt really small in a really big system. When I was arrested, I was sent to Central Booking. When I got to Central Booking, I was processed. And I went from the bottom floor to the second floor to the third floor. And I saw the judge on the fourth floor. And it was bullpen after bullpen after bullpen, eating cold bologna and cheese sandwiches, no place to sleep, the toilet right there in a cell where there was 10 of us or 12 of us, some people sick, some people angry, some people detoxing off of drugs, really just full of chaos. And then you hear your name called and it's your lawyer. The Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution gives a criminal defendant the right to counsel. In Stanley's case, that lawyer would be a public attorney. And these public attorneys, they handle hundreds of felony cases a year. He calls you out. He says, okay, just want to check. Your name's Stanley Richards. You live at this address. You are arrested for this. Anything else I should know? Okay, we're going to go in front of the judge. The judge is going to set bail, and we're going to see what we can do. Okay, boom. That all lasts the whole three minutes. Then you go back in your cell, and you wait. And then they call your name, and the officer calls you, and you go out, and you stand in front of the judge. And you come out hoping to see someone you know, a family member, someone you love, to know that they are out there. They know that you're in this cage. You're in this hole. And you get out there, and nobody's out there. Stanley says that for his case, the judge set bail for $50,000. $50,000 bail. That wasn't a bail for me. That was a ransom. And then the officer grabs you and he's telling you, you got to go back. You go back. And then you go back into this bullpen and you go through that process over and over again. And every time you go to court, you stand in front of the judge for three minutes. You don't get a chance to say anything. You don't know what's going on. Your lawyer doesn't come back and talk to you because you don't have a paid lawyer because you got a public defender and they have 200 cases that they have to get to. And the district attorney is just trying to get this case adjourned for another 30 days. And that process happens and it all explodes. And then you find yourself in solitary confinement because you got into a fight and you hurt somebody. And then you realize at that point, this is your life and you got to manage it. And so you learn how to live it. And so I learned how to live it. Stanley learned how to survive in prison. He got a job in the kitchen. In prison and in jail, food is like power. You could sell a hamburger. You could sell a grilled cheese sandwich. You have food, you have power. The other thing working in the kitchen gives you is access because you can now go to different housing areas because you're working in the kitchen. So you're helping out. You're working on the pots. You're working on a serving line. You're developing a relationship with the officers so they give you a little more leeway. So you learn how to live in that environment. And it was a vicious cycle. Stanley thought he'd never get out of it. When you go upstate, they have a thing where you have to participate in some programs. So I went before a program committee and the committee said, well, what do you want to do? You know, you're going to be with us. You got sentenced to nine years. What do you want to do? So I, I said, you know what? I want to go back to school. And I said, I want to go back to ABE, which is adult basic education. It's around the third grade because 
that's how I felt I left off. I felt like I belonged in the third grade. But the committee had faith in him. They asked Stanley to take the General Education Development Test, or GED for short. The GED is an internationally recognized test, which when passed, provides certification that the test taker has high school level academic skills. They said, you're ready for the GED? And it was a shock to me. I was like, this must be a fluke, right? Because I am not that smart. I studied. A year later, I took the GED and I passed. And again, one side of me was saying, this got to be an accident. I'm not that smart. The other side started saying, but wait a minute, maybe I'm not that dumb. And then I realized that my life wasn't in my circumstances. It wasn't because I was from Soundview, because I lived in poverty, because I came from the projects. Like my life was in my hand as long as I never gave up on myself. And so I made a promise to myself when I was up north. When I got out, I would never give up on myself. No matter how hard it would be, I would never give up. Stanley eventually went to college and even graduated magna cum laude. I was looking for a job, and everybody was telling me, you need to have experience. I said, but nobody wants to give me an opportunity. You need to have experience, you need to have experience. And I applied for a job at Fortune in 1991. And I say Fortune was the organization that walked the talk. Fortune Society is a nonprofit organization based in New York. Their mission is to support the successful re-entry of formerly incarcerated individuals into society. They provide a range of services to help people rebuild their lives. Anything from housing, workshops and skills training for job seekers, to education, mental health treatment, and alternatives to incarceration. Fortune Society was founded by David Rothenberg. In 1966, David was deeply moved after reading the script for the play Fortune in Men's Eyes by John Herbert. The play was the author's depiction of his own traumatic experience in prison. David produced the off-Broadway play the following year. Soon, David realized that there had to be a platform for people who had experienced incarceration firsthand. And so in 1967, the Fortune Society was born. And they gave me an opportunity, and I started here as a counselor. And I worked here from 91 to 97. I left, went and worked at Hunter College Center on AIDS, Drugs, and Community Health for a little while. And I came back to Fortune in 2001. But Fortune was the organization that saw not what I did, not the crime I committed, not how much time I served in prison. They only saw who I could be. And that was the opportunity I needed. And I never looked back. Not only has Stanley moved forward, but for years, he's been an active member of the public sector. In 2014, the Obama administration recognized Stanley as a champion of change. Apart from his own resilience, Stanley's achievements were made possible by the people who believed in him. I have had the incredible privilege of teaming with him to make fortune what it is today. That's Joanne Page president and CEO of Fortune Society. She's been with the organization for about 30 years now. Stan is a role model and an inspiration in terms of hope. And what he is, is a father figure and a mature, caring man who is strong where strength is about caring. 
not about violence, not about threats, but about being there for his family and being there as a mentor and being there as a leader. And he walks into a world where people don't know that people who are formerly incarcerated can be all of those things. By his very existence and the way in which he carries himself, he does a lot of myth-busting. At Fortune, Stanley also battles with how the media portrays incarcerated individuals. What people hear is the soundbite they hear on the news, the worst-case scenario, the trial that is played out on the 6 o'clock news. And when we tell them, look, we ought to look at who's really there and why people are there, right? That when you look at the 7,500 people who are detained in New York City jails right now, 85% of them are detainees. They have been convicted of nothing. They are detainees. And our Constitution gives us the presumption of innocence, right, until proven guilty. But we have people, primarily black and brown people, who are detained not because they were found guilty, but because they're poor and can't afford bail. But in spite of systemic issues surrounding the criminal justice system, there is hope. And it's real. People who have paid their debts or have suffered for crimes they didn't commit can still be seen for their potential. We see about 7,000 men and women a year, and we provide all those services. And we try to do two things, safety net and prevention. Many of the people walking through the doors have either served time with us or they know us from the street. And so when they come in and they see me as the executive vice president, the guy that they used to be on a corner with selling drugs, or the guy they was up north with creating havoc, and they see me in this role, it gives them a sense of hope for what could be their future. And through the same doors also come the stories of people whose lives they've transformed. There was a gentleman who was incarcerated for 52 years. He was incarcerated longer than Fortune was around. And he went to the parole board and he got a release date. And we got a call saying he has no place to go. He has no family. Would we take him into our housing program? So we said, you know, we screened him. So we screened him. And we said, when he gets released, we'll see what we can do, see if we can, you know, have a cot or something for him so that he doesn't have to end up in a shelter, right? Somebody who was in prison for 52 years getting released to a shelter does not make sense. So we were able to have a cot for him. On the date that he was going to be released, the man refused. He was afraid to leave. So we had to call one of our board members who also served, I think, 37 or 40 years. And he had to contact his resources in the prison to get on the phone with him and to say, we are not going to leave you alone. We're going to send somebody up there to pick you up. There's a bunch of people waiting to meet you and to greet you. And you do. While it's not your biological family, you have a family of caring people that's ready to support you. Through decades of advocating criminal justice reform, Stanley is able to pay it forward. If you work with someone by seeing the best in them, you'll see the best out of them. If you work with people and you see the worst in them, you're probably going to get the worst of them. And so we would encourage people to not see people for what they did, but to see people for who they could be. And then work with them to deliver who you imagine them to be. 
And when it comes to helping formerly incarcerated individuals get a fresh start, there's no shortage of opportunities. We always welcome and need donations because we're always working with people who are outside of the funding streams and desperately need help. There are a hundred different ways to help. And no matter where you are in the country, there are organizations that are doing work that really matters in this field. Stanley shares that their organization is seeking volunteers to mentor and tutor their members. Years ago, we used to have a cadre of volunteers who would come in and work with some of our students in the evening to provide one-on-one tutoring. We have a cadre of volunteers, retired professionals coming in once a week, and they do mock job interviews. So they sit down with our participants and they interview them as if they was on a real job interview to help them prepare for how they would be on an interview. We need volunteers like that to really come in and get involved. So we would ask people to get involved with our work. Come see us. Whether you're a volunteer or working in the public or private sector, Stanley calls for everyone to dig deeper and to check our assumptions about formerly incarcerated individuals. And if your assumptions are that they are people to be valued, they are people to be incorporated into our communities, they are people that have been held accountable and paid their debt, and now it is all of our obligations to ensure that we reintegrate them back into the fabric of society, then we should make sure that we don't have half-citizens. As a formerly incarcerated person, we're not asking to be put in the front of the line. We're just asking for a fair opportunity. Finally, here's Stanley's message to anyone who's been involved with the criminal justice system. Keep your head up and keep fighting. The one commitment I made to myself is that I would never give up. Stay the course, believe in yourself, And most of all, believe that the crime might have been what you did. It is not who you are. Today, Stanley is a beaming father of four kids. As for grandkids, he has nine. Even my wife of 28 years, who I met when I came home from prison, she didn't see me for all my years of cycling in and out of jail. Her mother didn't see me like that. Her family didn't see me like that. She saw me for who I could be. And she's stuck by me. She's been my rock for 28 years. And it's been an amazing journey. If you want to learn more about the Fortune Society and how you can get involved, please check out fortunesociety.org. That's it for today's episode. As always, we're so incredibly grateful for your support. We have a new episode coming out next week, so please tune in and help spread the word. Thanks, guys. And remember, be good to one another. This show is produced by Human Group Media, an award-winning social good podcast company. 
Human Group Media works with thought leaders, brands, and organizations to inspire social change through the power of audio storytelling.